the reason why I bring this up is because with the product launches, you don't necessarily have to order stock because you don't want to invest, let's say, well, let's say fifty thousand dollars into yeah. opening a brand in Germany for it not to work, and then you lose fifty thousand dollars. Right. You could probably invest ten, fifteen, and only once you see it work, you can start ordering stock, ordering inventory, and start scaling. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. The world may have come closer due to the penetration of internet, but the e-commerce practices and consumer behavior remain very different in terms of the payment methods, email open rates, and ad performance. The Europe market in particular is very different with market patches that behave very different. And brands that want to scale in the Europe market must have a comprehensive strategy, not just to grow, but to sustain. In today's episode, our guest, Renus Cummins, shares his insights into the nuances of different European regions and their e-commerce practices. He also discussed differences in payment methods in North America versus Europe the payment methods that you need to accept to support different regions in Europe. Finally, he discussed the best practices for launching new products and how email could be an effective tool given the higher open rates and success in the European regions. Let me introduce Renas to you. Renas started dabbling in business from the age of 13. He started with graphic design, creating YouTube banners for Call of Duty sniping clans. Later, he used his design skills to create his own fitness personal brand. By the age of 17, he had grown it to 16,000 followers. At the time, this page was bigger than any corporate brand's social media page in Latvia, the country where he is from. Currently, his team is managing email marketing for stores, generating $100,000 to $2 million in revenue. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Renus, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up? Super excited to be here. Hey, I am super excited as well because, uh, you know, the region you are from, obviously, we have not covered that in the previous episodes. And it's just so fascinating, the amount of commerce that is happening in these regions um, and amount of regulations that are going to be uniquely different in those regions as well. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing all of that. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal uh, story? And your current focus? Yes, for sure. Uh, I, I, I'm going to p- keep my personal stories short so we can dive into the tactical stuff. Uh, long story short, my name yeah. is Reynas. I run uh, a agency, a, a JR, alongside my co-founder. Yeah. Uh, we do email marketing. Uh, we work with e-commerce brands. Uh, uh, a lot of brands who are doing a couple of million a month we're scaling up, trying to try and get closer to nine-figure mark. Um, and a lot of the people we work with uh, are, are selling in Europe. So 
Germany, Netherlands, uh, France, Sweden, Latvia, Lithuania, uh, as well as the U.S. So we have we we see the differences that are happening in the U.S. markets, European markets, uh, sometimes even Middle East, so on and so forth. But the way we got here is it all started when I was 13. When I was 13, yeah. that's when I started mowing lawns. I became uh, 15. I became like a fit fitness influencer, and yeah. it kind of kicked off this passion for, uh, in my case, marketing and and selling online. Yeah. Uh, because it was so fascinating. I thought to myself, like, oh, I don't need to go out and maybe get like a a million dollar loan to open up like a, open up a retail shop. Yeah. I could start things and do things online, and uh, the the cost to start was was much much smaller. Um, and and I kicked off. I started off in Latvia, the country I'm from. Yeah. Uh, very early on, you realize that you can't make a lot of money here. So then I went off to, to other markets, primarily U.S., also some places in Europe. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of had a snowball effect. And we, we kicked off and we, we uh, grew into the agency we are right now. We're around 50 people right now. That's very um, cool. Yeah, yeah. Managing managing around 80 clients, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. Very, very interesting. Amazing. So, yeah, great story there. By the way, 13 years, I had no idea what I was doing back then, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so good for you that you started so early. Obviously, then you are going to have a lot more time to do a lot more interesting things in yes. your life, which is perfect. So obviously, we are going to be discussing about all of these regions. Uh, but before that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest. And that is going to be Renas, your perspective on business growth business growth is important uh in in my eyes but my main thing i focus on is yeah. can i grow a bottom line i think it makes no sense for example for you to scale let's say from 10 to 30 million if your bottom line stay, stays the same exactly. a lot of the valuations in, in e-commerce they're done by 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 the bottom line so on and so forth yeah. Uh, uh yeah there's been this obsession over revenue i've noticed yeah. Um, so if you can focus on growing bottom line, not revenue, I think I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, scaling, scaling in the simplest way possible. I'm all for that. Uh, a lot of times brands overcomplicate it. They try to either, well, yeah, they, they, they try to make things difficult when they could just focus on, uh, for example, selling their one main product, one main SKU, or if they've yeah. tapped out their one main SKU, they can work on creating two, three different SKUs. I actually had a conversation with uh, people who run weekend digital and yeah. they said the brands that scale that can scale to you know the difference in band, brands maybe spend 50k a month on ads versus brands that spend half a million a month on digital yeah. advertising that is their offers that there's their product market fit so uh, before you really focus on growth you need to nail those things down on your unit yeah. economics and then you can scale profit not just revenue yeah, could not agree more. I think it's uh, it's the bottom line that really matters. A lot of brands and uh, people focus on vanity metrics uh, as well as the revenue-centric metrics, which is obviously needed. Without that, you're not yes. going to get bottom line. Uh, but the ultimate uh, metric mm -hmm. is probably going to be the bottom line that really uh, matters. So now let's uh, dig deeper into these regions, right? So do you want to describe yes. a little bit more in terms of you know how the market differs overall in terms of Europe, we have done a couple of episodes in the past, uh, and we know that typically you know the things that we had discussed in those episodes is whenever let's say if a brand that is trying to penetrate the Europe market, the first thing probably is going to make sense is probably 
Germany is the first country that they target in Europe. And I don't know if you share the same feeling. Maybe you can you can share your perspective as well if that is the right strategy or not. Uh, so that is what they had mentioned. Just because you know you can cover a lot more countries, and then you had mentioned one more point: uh, Europe as a geography that. Uh, you know, you are going to have very small countries and the market is going to be uh, very small in general. So in one country, when you start, you can quickly outgrow that market and probably even the smaller businesses are probably going to be present in three, four, five, uh, ten uh, different countries. And that's very unique uh, about Europe market. So what has been your uh, observation overall? Uh, very good points. Uh, I would agree. So y- you can start with the dark market. So the dark yeah. markets is Germany, Austria, Switzerland. Yeah. Um, they speak the same language. So if you have a site that you, for example, translate right. from English into German, yeah. you can advertise to all those markets. And why not? Uh, to, yeah. to be fair, yeah. you have, you have a higher year. scale. Yes, yes, yes. And Germany, German market, they, they are pretty big. Um, yeah. it's Germany itself, I think is 80, 86 million. Yeah. So it's not like you're just going to start scaling ads and you're going to tap out. German market can scale, scale to quite a high level. Yeah. Uh, the biggest difference that people need to understand, and this goes for Germany specifically, but for most of Europe. Yeah. Um, the biggest difference in Europe and US is credit cards here are not as popular. Uh, in the U.S., a lot of people buy stuff with credit, meaning yeah. they don't buy stuff with their own money. In Europe, we use a lot of debit cards. Uh, there are credit cards here too, but a lot of people, like, you have to imagine them buying stuff with their own money. They feel the yeah. pain of the money going out of their account. I think that's one massive mindset shift uh, people need to realize. And also like going for, from the simplest, simplest things is... Um, the landing page structure and your advertising structure. If you advertise to the U.S., it cannot be yeah. the same. Uh, the way you sell in the dark markets, Germany in particular, is a lot of times you kind of sell them, hey, this is a product. Here's why, you know, it has high status. You yeah. know, for example, showcasing uh, newspapers where it's been featured on. These are the results we've gotten. These are the features. And then you make decision. You don't want to have like something like too aggressive. Countdown timer, sounds of it doesn't really work well. You want to be uh, more laid back, uh, give them all the information they, they need and let them make the decision. Hmm. That's kind of like from the German and like looking in the Europe market, the yeah. big things that you need to keep in mind. I would say, I would say moving forward with that, uh, the simplest markets to go into are Germany, Netherlands, yeah. Sweden. Uh, Netherlands also includes Belgium. Yeah. Um, I would say stay away from France. Uh, the reason why is I've never, I've never met anyone who's not French and who has cracked into the French market. It's very difficult. You need to have a uh, perfect language there. Yeah. You need to a lot of times restructure. And it's, it's like running another, another department for advertising. And yeah. to be fair, French market is very competitive. They have a yeah. lot of people who crush it with, with their own e-commerce brands. Right. I'd rather go to Germany, Netherlands, and Sweden because um, you can ach- achieve higher profitability there. When you go into these markets, you have to keep in mind the most important thing, payment processors. Yeah. What? How are the people going to pay for the product? Right. In the US, you have a lot of credit cards. Right. You have maybe sometimes PayPal, Afterpay, so on and so forth. Right, right. Europe, for the most part, you have Klarna. So Klarna is going to be in all those, basically all the markets you're in. Yeah. You have cash on delivery, which is more for Balkan countries, yeah. Eastern Europe, Greece, so on and so forth, Turkey. Right. Cash delivery is very important, so that makes it a bit more difficult to squeeze in those markets. Right. And also tracking, you know, your profitability. 
going back to the markets you should be starting with, Germany, you yeah. have PayPal, Klarna, and credit cards. Those are the biggest payment methods. Yeah. For Netherlands, you have Ideal, Klarna, and credit cards too. Most of these payment methods you can get through a platform called Molly. You can just go there, you'll see <laughs> everything and, and, and how people pay. Sweden is pretty similar. Credit cards in Klarna. Klarna is a Swedish company, so that's why they take pride in it. Yeah. Um, and then Eastern European, like Poland, Eastern European, Eastern Europe, Poland, uh, you have cash on delivery. A lot of times you have bank transfers. We like great. to pay with bank transfers. Yeah. Um, that's overview there for, for kind of like getting started, not talking about marketing, just talking about setup and getting things rolling. One thing I do want to mention as well too, to, uh, as last note is a lot of times it's easier to start in these countries than you might think. You might right. think like, oh, we have foreign languages. It's difficult. Yeah. The main things you need to figure out how to translate are your landing page, right. your your um, uh, advertisements, and then customer support. Also with landing page and advertisements, fairly straightforward. You can get a voiceover actors from Germany. You right. can have a very, very good copywriter you can find even through Upwork and whatnot uh, and have them rewrite the text in German so you can get things going and start testing it very, very quickly and very, very effortlessly. When it comes to customer support, yeah. there are a couple of ways to go about it. Uh, if you want this, the cheapest way possible, the cheapest way to start is by using a tool called Deepl. So okay. Deep, so like D-E-E-P-L.com. Okay. You get some very good quality translations and you can have your same customer support team uh, translate the customer support tickets and answer with this. It's not going to be perfect, but to get started and test out the market, that's the cheapest way you can do it. Uh, later, you can again, like you can hire students, yeah. you can hire a customer support a customer support team from that country. But to get started, that's a very easy way to do it. Uh, anything else besides that? If you are FDA approved in the US, you, yeah. you'll probably need CE certification. Yeah. Um, but with the certifications, I'm not the most, I'm not the most familiar. Generally speaking, Europe is more strict than the US would be. Right. So you would need to talk to suppliers, look at the certifications. For the most, for most products, they would have both approvals, except yeah. if it's like a food product, I guess. Um, so that'll be the only thing. And Europe is going to be a bit more strict, um, in that regard. Okay, so some very interesting layers there. And obviously, the payment processors, when you look at them, I mean, there are so many. And one of the things that you mentioned is that Europe market is going to be slightly more laid back. And I don't know if conservative is the right word or not, but seems like the way you are describing, it's probably going to be slightly more uh, conservative that they are probably going to be spending uh, money uh, with their debit card, uh, as you correctly pointed out. Uh, but then you have the Klarna that is actually becoming really big overall in the yes. Europe um, geography, and that is actually picking up in the US as well. So I don't know, yes. I mean, what are the drivers, why these uh, payment methods are becoming so popular that when, you know, if you really think about this uh, consumer population, they did not really catch up on the credit card, but they are okay with the payment methods. So do you have any sort of perspective in terms of why there's a giant leap that, okay, you yeah. are <laughs> not okay with the credit card, yeah. but you are okay with the, the payment method that is going to be completely online, completely entrusted, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just fu fundamentally, uh, number one, it's easier to pay with credit on site, right? So if you have a payment payment method like Klarna, you don't have yeah. the money, for example, like sometimes in, say, European markets, you 
Eastern Europe, you might you have people who earn less, so they might not have the money. Or let's say you're not comfortable with paying everything up front. Yeah. Like like people fall, have fallen into this line of subscriptions. That's yeah. typically from car payments. Cars are yeah. not being sold in terms of like, hey, this is how much you pay, and then we're gonna divide it upon months. But it's they're sold in like, hey, you're gonna pay a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks for next, let's say, thirty six months. Yeah. You think to yourself, oh, cool, I'm gonna pay one k one k a month, where you might be overpaying by ten k for example. Yeah. That's 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 what it really comes down to people being used to these subscription models and then on site when it says like hey instead of buying the product for $100 you can buy yeah. it for let's say 25 and pay it over 4 months. Yeah. That seems more attractive, right? And the reason why credit cards aren't as popular in Europe because is because for the most part we don't have the same benefits. I know like Western Europe they have Amex and whatnot, Eastern Europe we don't even have Amex. Yeah. And generally speaking, the market, we've been used to debit cards in yeah. here. It's just ingrained. Like, for example, in Germany, you actually, your business suffers if you take too much credit out. They don't want you to over leverage. They don't want you to risk too much. Yeah. So businesses don't pay with credit cards. Mostly they pay with, pay with, pay with credit cards as well. Uh, if you take on too much credit, if you have yeah. too much, like not even, like even available balance of credit, the yeah. government is going to like start asking questions and there are going to be, there are going to be some issues. People don't want to bother with that. That's yeah. why they don't take out, uh, credit cards. They don't use them as much. Whereas on the flip side, Klarna and those tools, they're unregulated, unregulated. People yeah. don't care that much about them and the, uh, yeah, how they're being operated. So there are some very interesting layers there, and I want to peel some more, uh, you know, in that. So let's say if you look at the U.S. market or the Canadian market, mm -hmm. uh, here as well, if you look at the businesses, when you mentioned businesses don't pay using credit card, here, if you look at business-to-business -business transactions, they are primarily happening using either check or some sort of EFT, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so that is going to be your bank-to-bank -bank transfer. Uh, for bank-to-bank -bank transaction, they don't necessarily use credit card. And the reason why they don't use credit card, unless it's going to be really small amount, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, then they can probably pay using credit card. But for the most part, the reason why businesses don't pay uh, using credit card is going to be the upcharge that they need to pay based on the mm -hmm. credit card. And that's, uh, that's a hit yes. for the businesses. That's why they don't use that. But as a consumer, okay, as a consumer for me, let's say if I'm shopping, so there are two or three different things. Number one, I don't have to worry about the hit. Okay, businesses are taking the hit. Obviously, the price of the product is going to be increased, but that's how the society works. So, you know, as a consumer, I don't really take the hit. And that's the reason why consumers here are comfortable paying using credit card. Number uh, That is number one. Number two is going to be with credit card, you at least get one free month, if not a couple of months. Okay, that you don't have to uh, spend your cash. So you yeah, have a yeah, little bit yeah. of, you know, room there in terms of your cash management. And then you also get these statements. So you sort of know what is going to be your monthly spend. If everything is going from your bank account, sometimes, you know, it becomes difficult. So you have that flexibility as well. The third point that I would like to mention is going to be when you look at the consumer behavior is going to be the security. For example, let's say I'm not too sure if I, uh, I feel comfortable sharing either my debit card or the bank account because debit card is going to be directly connected with the bank account. Credit card is not. So that's the security layer as well. So I don't know, Amici, are consumers not the same and, and are businesses really driving these trends in the Europe that they don't want to accept the credit card because then the products are going to be more expensive? No, no. 
you can people ex, they accept the credit card it's just typically consumers would pay with a debit card so just the mindset is different on how you pay like in the us you would have like a lot of people who would just buy things for the sake of buying things whereas yeah. in europe people are a bit more conservative with the money they're yeah. just like the like one mindset shift you you might need to take in a, into account while advertising yeah uh, but businesses do take do take credit credit cards and like in in that point the same benefits are also in europe yeah. it's just like people don't use them as much okay so very interesting so overall uh, let's say you know the other comments that you have men- mentioned in the previous conversation was that overall the lending page experience right so one thing is going to be really the language and the translation that is going to be super critical whichever country you are selling to obviously you mm-hmm. need to take care of that and that is probably going to increase significant overhead for the business when you are trying to attack this market because you need to analyze that your product categories are going to be profitable so maybe talk yes. ab- a little bit more about you know are these the only factors only the language or the translation or are other some some other factors that need to be considered while designing uh, the landing pages as well as maybe talk about yeah. some of the product categories as well that are going to be slightly different uh, in the europe market than the us market yeah uh, i would say i would say probably the biggest one is not being as aggressive with your marketing yeah um that, that that that's probably going to be the biggest one if in the us you have like huge countdown timers like huge buttons arrows yeah. something like that people in here they're going to think it's a scam like if you the best way to to, to think about this is to compare us radio ads to european right. radio ads us radio ads people that they're, they're super loud they're all into your face blah blah, blah like bite us now now yeah, yeah. now whereas in europe it's a lot more laid back they're a lot more laid back and they're they they're giving out the uh yeah look at yeah, they're Generally speaking, they're a lot more laid back. And that's what advertising here is. You can obviously try and test more aggressive stuff. Yeah. Um, but quite often it doesn't end up working, especially in Germany. In some markets like Balkan countries, Eastern Europe, you can go a lot more aggressive as well with like, you know, some D to C products. Yeah. Which to be fair are not typically the best quality. You can you can still do that and and and, and have that work. But Germany specifically, and maybe Netherlands, not so much. At the end of the day, uh, what's what's important is for you to test out and see what works. Uh, the issue that has happened in Europe is a lot of countries have have had massive scams uh, happen to them. For example, Netherlands, they have had scams where people have these buy one get one free shops. Yeah. Uh, where they, for example, sell a mountain bike for 100 euros. Yeah. You pay through Ideal, unless it's a bank transfer, you can't do a chargeback. Yeah. Uh, the business gets the money. They either don't ship the product, or they ship like a, like a, an image, which is like yeah. a printed out bike, just so they have a tracking number. Yeah. Uh, you have to be aware of those, and like you know, if you if you make the site look too sketchy, if you don't look branded enough, people yeah. might think that you're that you're selling that. The same thing if maybe you you have a product that might have yeah. a patent, or you know, you're selling a product that's being wildly drop shipped. Keep that in mind. There are literal groups of people. Where once they find dropshipping stores, they put in the uh, domains of of, of those uh, of those businesses, and then just people just flood the comments, flood the page with negative reviews, so on and so forth, because they've had a lot of negative experiences. And uh, this might even be like you know you might be having your own product that a lot that just became like a dropshipping winning product, yeah. and you're gonna suffer through that as well. That's just something to keep in mind. Some like specific things you might not know unless you've been in the market or you're in in the market. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so some great uh, comments there. Uh, so now I don't know if you're going to have any sort of stories that you might be able to share to just illustrate the process, you know, how the growth is going to be 
or how the penetration is going to be in the Europe market. So do you have any stories mm-hmm. of any specific brands that, you know, sort of try to target uh, different regions and then, you know, how their uh, payment processor strategy was uh, when they were trying to incorporate and yeah. I don't know if they were sort of, you know, went off yeah. in with uh, just, everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just go through simple, simple steps. So like payment processor is fairly straightforward. You can apply to Mali, uh, yeah. Mali.com. You can apply yeah. to Klarna directly. Yeah. Uh, for Ger- uh, I'd, I'd start with Germany. So the dark markets. So yeah. Germany, Austria, Switzerland. Yeah. Uh, take your site, adjust it in English to where like yeah. it, it's selling more through benefits, more through social proof. Yeah. Uh, and not as like in a more like a less of an aggressive tone. Yeah. Uh, make sure you have like very simple design. So like pre- like three colors, four max. Yeah. Very clean. Yeah. Uh, more standard, high quality product picture pictures. Then you can go on Upwork or even hire like a translation agency. Yeah. Uh, have them translate it for you. Ideally, they should have some copywriting experience. Yeah. You can do the same thing with your advertisements. Take picture ads at work. Take video ads at work. Take old video ads at work. And yeah. just translate them into German and start testing once, you know, it's, it's, it's up and running. Yeah. Payment processor should be fairly easy to get. Uh, sometimes if it's if it's a bit more difficult, you might need to open a European company. Okay. You could open up a German company or yeah. or or some something uh, yeah something else uh, in a different country. You will need to apply for a VAT number if you're okay. a European company. Yeah. If you're not a European company, uh, it was a different term for it, but it's like a universal something something number. I don't huh. know by heart, but if you talk with your accountant, it's like, hey, look. Yeah. We need to we need to work in in the European markets. We need the Europe the the uh, U.S. equivalent of a VAT number or or you know the VAT number non-U.S. businesses can get. Yeah, that's because in Europe, every product you sell uh, you sell with 21% tax. Uh, this is not 21% tax, but you sell with VAT, which is anywhere from like sometimes 16% to 23%. Oh, wow. And Yes, and you have to keep that in mind. This tax will need to go on your product price. Huh. It does. It doesn't work like it works in the U.S. Where let's say you, you buy a product for ten bucks, you buy it in California, and yeah. the checkout it says ten oh nine. No, in Europe, if you buy the product for a hundred bucks, you buy it for a hundred bucks, and then you as a business, the government will ask you to pay back. Uh, Interesting. VAT. Yes. Oh. Uh, the reason I brought up creating a European company yeah. is because if you can do that, then once you order stock, you can you, you can do some accounting tricks and get some of the VAT back to where you're not to where you're not losing almost a quarter of your of your uh, revenue into some random European taxes. Uh, so if you're if you're a Europe, European company, yeah. you import you import products, you have your own VAT number, you can reclaim VAT as well from the government. That's why it might make more sense. Like it, once you do the test, you see the yeah. uh, the products are selling well. Perfect. Uh, you can move forward and open up a company there. There, I, I would recommend that. I would I would look at some structures. Um. Then, to take a step back, go back to what I was talking about. So take your landing page, adjust it, uh, yeah. translate it. Take your ads, adjust them, translate them. Uh, set up Molly, set up the VAT number or the equivalent if you're a foreign uh, foreign overseas company. Yeah. Then what you can actually do to make things easier, start off by doing a product launch. Okay. That's something we've done. We did it for a, a company selling in Canada. Uh, yeah. They were going in there from New Zealand. We, we also use these product launches for all the existing companies. 
And we had a company selling in Lithuania, Manila. We did yeah. 136 euros with just yeah. one email send and on how we got to these product launches. Product launches, brand launches, they're very similar. Uh, yeah. They're also very similar with sales and you know the sales we launched for Q4. That'll probably be the easiest way to start. The reason why I bring this up is because with the product launches, you don't necessarily have to order stock because you don't want to invest, let's say, well, let's say $50,000 into yeah. opening a brand in Germany for it not to work and then you lose $50,000. Right. Right. You could probably invest 10, 15, and only once you see it work, you can start ordering stock, ordering inventory, and start scaling. Yeah. With these product launches, typically the way we do them is we separate them out into four main, like in this case, five main phases. Okay. The first phase is the calculations. Okay. The calculations is something that, that I've done with brands we work with in Europe. And yeah. I just look at the economics, like what are the products? How quickly right. can we ship them to Europe? Right. What are, what's the price point for the products? Like right. what are the cost of goods? Um, so on and so forth. Yeah. Then I roughly estimate what would be your cost for acquisition, your CPA. A lot right. of times you can get it lower than it would be in the US. Ads are less competitive here, which is a bonus. Then once we've done that, we dive yeah. into what we, what we call internally the product launch formula. That's what we've done with a lot of the businesses we work with. Um, for, for Manila, uh, the skincare company, what we yeah. did essentially was phase one was hyping people up, getting people excited. And yeah. in your case, uh, for a new brand's launch, they'll be starting to run ads that basically push people into an opt-in page. Very importantly, not Legion ads yeah. on Facebook, for example, but conversion ads where the where the primary metric is getting leads and that's being done through people signing up uh, on the site. So running ads there, building some brand awareness so, so people know you're legit. You could even do some influencer campaigns. Right. A great example of this was a brand called Not Best Secret, but about you yeah what they did a month before they even started selling anything they bought tv ad slots they did partnership deals with multiple biggest influencers in the country oh. in the field uh and they basically got their name out there it's where people knew who they were yeah they, so they had more trust while buying for them uh, uh before buying from them i estimate they probably spent could have been around 20-ish k just on ads with no ROI upfront yeah. on just building the brand awareness. I'm not saying you have to do that. You can be a bit more conservative and you can put more money into performance marketing, right. which is what we did. Because with the hype up we had is we had we drove traffic to a landing page. Yeah. And after the landing page, once we get their email, yeah. we let them pre-order either your main product or let them pre-order different SKUs. The landing page clearly states that the products might be shipped in, let's say, five weeks, something like that, depending on your lead time. Yeah, but that way we're able to see and validate whether people are buying buying the product or or not. We had a brand that was launched in Netherlands. We yeah. ran the same strategy. We invested around ten thousand and we generated around around fifteen k as a first product launch, just to see if there's a market for your product, just to see if your current ads work, if you need to re rework advertising, and just see if like you know we need to just landing page, so on right. so forth. Where, where are people dropping off? That's what we did there. I kind of skipped ahead uh skipped, uh skipped ahead with some of the results yeah but to take a step back yes you have this hyper period after that you have the pre-sale which i mentioned which is uh, yeah. which is done via emails and also via landing page then you have the big sale launch which is when you launch the, the, the site to the public yeah you launch the site to the entire email list you've collected and then you have follow-ups where you follow up with people who haven't converted retarget yeah. them 
send them emails. And as simple as that, you instead of you spending 50, 100, 300K to enter a market, you, you might have done it for 10K, right? 10, 15K, again, yeah. based, based on your cost of goods. And then you get people to pay for your product before you ship it out. Right. And you don't have you know a bunch of products stuck in a warehouse somewhere. You yeah. don't have to pay VAT on yeah. the product because that's something as well. If you order order stock for 100K, you're gonna need to order. You're gonna need to pay 21% on that. Um, and yeah, that's that's my recommendation and how you can actually get started in these markets, uh, like a more actionable guide. Uh, so very interesting, and there are too many different layers there that we can take. But I'm actually going to touch on uh, some of them. So uh, number one, you mentioned the the VAT, and uh, from the VAT yes. perspective, forty one percent, or maybe sixteen to twenty three percent is what you mentioned. Uh, yes. In my case, you know, when we are in either New York, California, or here in Canada, the maximum that we have paid so far is like thirteen uh, percent, or yes, maybe sixteen. That's that's a max, and we feel that we are paying a lot more, but you guys are paying. Yes. Way too much, I guess. So, uh, you know, overall from the uh, VAT perspective, you mentioned some of the tricks in terms of businesses that they might be able to save. So how does that process work? Is it similar to the US and Canada where, you know, typically what businesses can do is you are going to be looking at, okay, how much is the VAT that is your outgoing versus what you have paid to the vendors? You deduct in terms of, you know, uh, what is remaining in you. Exactly. on, on that, okay, so you have the similar taxation Ex- model. Yes, a- a- exactly, exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. Um, that's the benefit of having a European company. And the same thing like with European companies, yeah. uh, based on where you're located, for example, in Latvia, in our country, yeah. we don't pay any tax on profit, no tax on revenue. We only pay tax on dividends. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, like if, if you're a foreign company you want to open up, you can do Lithuania. Yeah, you can do Andorra. Andorra has zero taxes. Andorra is a bit more difficult, and you need yeah. to have some sort of residency there. Yeah, but uh, uh, sorry, Estonia, you can get e-residency, and it can be very simple to open up companies there. Yeah, again, you have no tax on revenue, no tax on profit, only twenty percent on dividends. Yeah, which you can pay out to your to your main company, and and again, like yes, you do have to pay VAT, but then you can write it off. And opening these companies is very simple. You can do it pretty much online. I'm sure you can do it online. Huh, very interesting. So the other layer that I really wanted to touch is going to be the whole company registration process. And you mentioned, and again, when you are uh, going to be in these countries and when you are opening in the foreign country, even though it might be next door, it is going to be a different country in general, right? So when you are looking at the, the registration process of the company, Typically, you know, if you are going to be, let's say you are Canadian and you are trying to open in the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, the process is still going to be very difficult. It's not as easy. OK, so in some countries, I know that, you know, when you look at countries like Philippines, India, you are probably mm-hmm. going to be requiring a resident who is going to be director on, in your company. Do you know if Germany has the similar guidelines? So let's say somebody is penetrating Germany market for the first time yeah. for them. Uh, it could be frightening yeah. to open a company there, right? So, so the only thing that's really fright is frightening is opening a bank account. Bank accounts exactly. are a bigger challenge. Yep. Um, Estonia is where you can get it done. Uh, where where you can get it done, like like the, the easiest. To be fair, I won't be able to like give comments on, you know, selling from Estonia to Germany. Yeah. What happens yeah. there with the VAT situation? Yeah. For the most part, it should be okay. Yeah. Uh, it should be like you know you should be able to duck things and whatnot. 
because still like you you know you're paying that from your company to Germany's to, to Germany's government but yeah. Europe is very connected yeah um, generally speaking like yeah you might need you might need some resident um, but a lot of times we have people do open up companies in Latvia we have a whole register for this you open a company under someone else's name yeah but you're the actual beneficiary as a right. company um, there are ways around it. You can also like like the, the easiest bank accounts open to start can be investment banks if you have capital. Yeah. Um, yeah, they'll be they'll be a lot easier to open, and they will have they will have direct people who manage your accounts. Or actually, if someone is very serious and interested, I can connect you with someone who can help open bank accounts. Uh, they basically have a process. They have people in the banks. They can explain explain yeah. the situation and bank get banks open up easier even if you're a foreigner it's still a bit more difficult but yeah. if you see a lot of potential you can very you can easily scale in these markets the thing is you do have vat which is more expensive but cost of ads is is not more cheap so you can have brands that, for example are in a clothing niche yeah and you get like some ridiculous 10x roas very consistently yeah, uh, to where like you know after VAT everything you might be operating at what the US might be you know three four x ROAS five x ROAS which yeah. would be very very difficult to get. Okay, so very interesting. So now you keep touching the layer about you know ads being not so competitive, and then you know I know for a fact that you know when you look at the emails now email as a channel is becoming very hard in general. And you mentioned that mm-hmm. you know what you have utilized email only for the brand awareness. Uh, if you look at the U.S. market at, the, at this point of time or Canadian market, uh, email in general is becoming very difficult channel because of these spam filters, because they are becoming smarter because of your machine learning, AI, uh, yeah. you know, what you can yeah. do with email. So I don't know if you guys are experiencing the same, but in your case, I guess email is going to be slightly more difficult. Uh, I don't know if you have GDPR everywhere or just, uh, you know, in some countries, in the Europe, but my understanding is going to be that email is going to be slightly more difficult. Yeah, so like, like just answer straight to the core of the question. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. GDPR, you can easily track it, check box on site, not difficult. Most yeah. ESP tools can track consent. Yeah. It also depends on how, like you can, there are ways to kind of gray hat it. I don't, yeah. I'm not a lawyer, I don't recommend that. But yeah. I'm saying like, if you're under 100 mil, million a year, pretty much no one cares. But again, I'm not giving giving this as advice. I'm just saying that from what I've seen, from experience, from looking through like you know registries of fines. Uh, again, I, I didn't tell you to do anything gray hat per se. Yeah, yeah. But tracking consent is is uh, very simple. Yeah. You can track it through, for example, if you use Shopify, it'll get pulled into Clavio. And then email marketing on the flip side, Europe is a very underutilized tool. We get even pre iOS for uh, iOS 15. Yeah. In Lithuania, for example, yeah. we were seeing 60% open rates. Like there, like when I tell you, that not a lot of brands are sending emails. Right. Not a lot of brands are sending emails. It is a massive opportunity, massive retention channel that yeah. is even more huge than it is in the U.S., especially in like the Balkan countries, especially in Eastern Europe, uh, Sweden, yeah. Netherlands, Germany. You can get insane results. Like if your brand, let's say you do, for example, a million a month, let's say you do 200K a month from emails, yeah. you've got the same thing in Europe, you could do possibly 350, almost 400K a month. Yeah. So so there, there is a lot of scale to achieve 
Yeah, so very interesting. So now if we compare this with the US market, you know, at least from my personal experience, when you look at the US or Canada market, getting mm-hmm. email from somebody is extremely hard. So you mentioned that, you know, you did this ad campaign. In our case, in even if we spend on advertising, uh, you know, number one, ads are, are very competitive, as you have correctly pointed out. Uh, but then getting just the email, what people do is they are probably going to put fake email as opposed to the real emails. When you, so I don't know everywhere. if this is. That happens everywhere. Like, like to, to collect emails, you need to have the right privacy policies. And right. for example, you just need a checkbox. Um, as simple as that. Like a lot of times, like if you do it with less than 100 mil, you can theoretically, instead of a checkbox, you can just yeah. say like a small text, hey, by signing up, you applied, to, like you agreed to get marketing messages. Yeah. Uh, really, there shouldn't be anyone going after you. But again, if you want to be 100% safe, have a checkbox. It's simple. Uh, people are always going to give fake emails. It doesn't matter where you are. You could be, I don't know, like, yeah, you could be in California. Somewhere. If someone's going to give you a fake email, they're going to yeah. give you a fake email. It's going to be a real email. It's going to be a real email. It doesn't matter really where you are. Yeah. So from my experience, getting the email itself, people are going to come to the website. They are going to read the content. They are probably going to understand what the product is, and then they are going to probably go somewhere else uh, to be able to buy. So have you used any sort of strategies in getting these emails or getting conversion? Because if you're getting this higher conversion rate, obviously in those regions. So I don't know if this is really the regional difference or it is really your strategy uh, that you employ to be able to get those emails. It's both. It's 100% both. Our strategy okay. uh, with, with the opt-ins when the product launches, we've had a, we had a launch where we did 251k in 24 hours. Yeah. And that's because we were using an influencer and with a couple of her posts, we were able to collect uh, around 40,000, 50,000 emails. Yeah, uh, that's because when we did this brand launch for them, we made it email exclusive, so where people had the incentive to add write the email. It all comes down to the offer. If you don't have a good offer, you're not going to be able to get the right data. That's what it comes down to. If you give someone like a wishy-washy offer, yeah, like there's no incentive for them to read, like leave leave write the email in there. It also needs to be clearly stated in, in one way or another. That, for example, if we're giving customers a discount, let's yeah. say. Uh, on an email pop-up, we should like you know if they don't if they don't enter their real email, they might not see the code. So then they then 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 they don't have the benefit, right? If if they mess up, they mess up. Same with landing page, they might not be able to get access to say something exclusive if they, unless they put in the real email. And then if once they enter the fake one, they're like, ah, oh, yeah, I need to actually enter my real one, and yeah. then they do it. It all comes down to the offer there. Also. Yeah. European markets, what I talked about, email marketing is just less competitive. So generally speaking, we've, we've, we have, looking at our agencies and other people, how they do email marketing in Europe, they're not that good compared to the U.S. We've taken a lot of things we've learned from the U.S. and working with uh, pretty big brands, and we're taking that into Europe. Generally speaking, a lot of people are not that good with emails. They're good with paid ads. Yeah. If you can do both, you're you're awesome. All right, amazing. So that's it for today. Do you have any last minute closing advice for our listeners? Yes, crush Q4. Uh, now the recession might be coming. Don't think about how can I cost, cut costs. Think about how can I keep up my spend, but keep up my uh, revenue by diversifying my spend. So that might be uh, going off Google, going off Facebook, heading into micro influencers and trying to keep your spend up because really now is a great opportunity to take market share. You will have opportunities to take market share because other people are going to have this scarcity mindset. You yeah. should have the growth mindset. 
you can, you know, instead of growing, you know, 50%, 100%, you might be growing at 10, 20, 30%, but you're still growing. You're still profitable. Focus on that. Don't think about cutting costs. Focus on how can you spend the same amount of money profitably. What channels can I take? Where can I test it? So on and so forth. You'll be better off than your competitors. You'll be able to scale higher. You'll be able to come back out of the recession better. Could not agree more. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be there are so many channels, whether you talk about just from the product perspective or from geography perspective or just from the payment processing perspective, there are going to be always opportunities, uh, whether to improve your bottom line or uh, to grow. On that note, I really want to thank you for your time. This has been a powerful episode. Yes, 100%. So if also someone wants to find me, like ask me any questions about uh, these geos, you can find me at email Rainis, so R-E-I-N-I-S on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, and also you could schedule a call with me uh, at agency JR, agency as an agency, J as in Jacob, R as in Rainus.com slash call. So agencygr.com. Uh, and email Rainus. Feel free to reach out. I don't bite. Uh, <laughs> I'm more than happy to help out. Yeah, he indeed does not bite. And we are also going to include this information in the show notes so people can easily find. Again, on that note, thank you so much for your time and insights today. Thank you. Take care. Adios. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Rainus, head over to agencyjr.com. It's A-G-E-N-C-Y-J-R.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Robert Giabanini, who shares his insights into the e-commerce nuances for furniture manufacturers. Also, the interview with Jay Schneider, who shares his insights into how B2B digital commerce processes differ from B2C. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.